It is definitely good to be with you this morning. Uh, it's been a few weeks since I've been here. Uh, the Lord has been faithful in uh, giving me opportunities to speak elsewhere in West Michigan. And for that, I am very thankful. But it's good to be here, and it's, it's good to be able to open the Word of God with you this morning. Um, today, as you know, we've been... Uh, going through the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to continue that. Um, And let's start by reading Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open your word and as we study about Noah, Lord, may we commit to being the faithful men and women that you have called us to be. May we realize that Noah was a man like us, that he found grace in your eyes and that we may too through the blood of Jesus Christ we pray this in Jesus name Amen Amen. and now if you'll flip over to Genesis chapter 6 we will spend the bulk of our time in this chapter and um, my first point if you're taking notes uh, is the setup point as we are charging toward the flood, and that is evil multiplies on the earth. And certainly today, in the culture in which we live, we can see that happening. And Jesus said, As the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Speaking of his second coming. So I believe that His second coming could come in my lifetime. We need to be careful that even as we anticipate the imminent return of Christ, that we also realize that we have a responsibility to live in the world in which we live today. There were people in the New Testament church who gave up their jobs, they gave up their responsibilities, and they said, we're just going to sit and wait for Jesus to come back. And they caused a lot of trouble in the early church. And Paul said to them, if a man shall not work, he shall not eat. So we must have balance in all things. But let's look at the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 6 to establish our first point of this morning. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they choose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet shall his days be an hundred and twenty years. 
There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bore children unto them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man which I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and every creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Now this is not a very pleasant picture. And we see how men multiplied on the earth, evil multiplied. And if you think about the fact that in that time period, people lived almost a millennium. Many people did. Methuselah was the oldest man that ever lived, 969 years old. And there's an old saying that says, the oldest man that ever lived died before his father did. And that's because Enoch was his father. Enoch did not die, but was not, for God took him. But God was realizing, and it's kind of weird to think of God realizing something, because He knows everything. But this is the way it's presented. That God is realizing that man's heart is wicked, and that giving them 900 to a thousand years to live is not a good idea. So he says, man's life is going to be 120 years. And there will be some exceptions to this, but for the most part, you won't see people living longer than that. And as a matter of fact, when when Moses writes uh, Psalm 90, he says, man lives 70 years, or maybe by reason of strength, he lives 80 years. But Moses himself lived exactly 120 years. And he was as strong the day he died as he was as a young man, nor was his eye abated, which is amazing in and of itself. Because I don't know too many 120-year-olds that are strong. But, all this to say, God is saying, we're going to make some changes. And if Genesis chapter 6 ends with verse 7, you think He's going to destroy everything. That He's just going to maybe even just end this plan that's called the earth. He tried it. It failed. He's going to end it. But... uh, I am thankful that God had another plan. And uh, could somebody read very quickly um, as we wrap up this point, um, Matthew fifteen nineteen, just by way of cross-reference. If you reach that passage, just go ahead and stand and read it for us. Matthew fifteen nineteen. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false testimonies, slanders. 
Okay, <clears throat> I want to bring. I bring this up because it's very easy to think. Well, these people were so evil, and I would never be that evil. But as we get into talking about Noah, we're not talking about a man who was exempt from evil. As a matter of fact, after the flood, he does some very foolish things, which show us that the flood was not about ultimate redemption of man. The ultimate redemption of man would come through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're in this situation. Evil has multiplied on the earth. Every imagination of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. And so God says, I'm going to start over. And before I move on to God's solution to this, I want to read a quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I don't really necessarily endorse everything about this guy, but I thought this quote was good. He says this, If there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his heart? See, if it were possible to destroy all the evil people and have righteousness reign, then the children of Israel would have done it. The children of Israel destroyed many evil people. So that they could take possession of the land of Canaan after they came out of Egypt. That's what they did. And yet they were constantly being drawn back to idols. Why? Because the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So what's the solution? We begin to find that solution in our second point today. And that's this. That Noah finds grace. Continuing on in our Genesis passage, um, we see in verses 8 to 13. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come up before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It says that Noah was perfect in his generations. But I but as I said, <clears throat> we're going to find that that doesn't mean that Noah was blameless. Noah was a human. 
But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And when God called out to Noah, Noah listened. Can you imagine this scenario where you're Noah, you're living in a land of evil, you're trying to follow God, and all of a sudden God comes to you and He says, I'm going to flood the world. And it's never even rained. The Bible says earlier in Genesis that the world was watered by the dew of the ground. I don't know about you, but rainstorms scare me still to this day. I do some of my best praying in rainstorms. And sometimes I say to my family and friends, I, I wish God still just watered by the dew of the ground. Because I could do without rainstorms. But He's not coming to people that are versed in rainstorms. And He says to Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. And He doesn't come to Noah because Noah's this great guy. As we'll find out. He comes to Noah because Noah found grace. And I know I keep repeating that, but we need to realize that if we have trusted Jesus Christ, we have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There is nothing that separates us from those that died in the flood except for the grace of Almighty God. Absolutely nothing. And God, and this passage is talking also about how the earth just became progressively more and more corrupt. Remember, God put Adam and Eve in the perfect Garden of Eden. Had everything they could ever want and they chose to go their own way. You know, some people say uh, about the issue of homelessness. I know I worked at Guiding Light Mission for two years. And there was this coalition to end homelessness. And they were like, if we could just get these homeless people housing, if we could just get them a job, then all, all their troubles would go away. But you know, I saw over and over again, men and women who were given the opportunity to have housing, and they blew it. Why? Because you can stick a dirty person in a clean house and they're still dirty. You can take an unrepentant sinner, dress him in a suit, stick him in a pew for church, and he's still an unrepentant sinner. The only lasting solution for anybody is Jesus Christ. I go into... The, the jail with my brothers and my dad and Brother Ale and others. And we see these men month after month sometimes. And I believe some of them are sincere believers. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes I wonder if some of them only give lip service because they come back again and again and again. It's called a correctional facility. Why? Because we have this idea that if we put a man in a jail cell 
For a period of time, he will be rehabilitated. But if that works so well, why do 75 to 80% of these men go back time and again? I'll tell you why. Because without Jesus Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Paul said, the good that I would, I do not do, and the evil that I would not do, those things I do. Because in his flesh there was no good thing. And that's where we find Noah. There's nothing good on the earth. I don't know what the spiritual state exactly was of Noah's sons and their wives and his wife. I'd like to believe they were on the same page with Noah. They obviously helped him with this project. He didn't build an ark all by himself. But it mentions Noah specifically as the one who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so, what does this teach us? We live in a world of corruption. We live in a world that hates God. We live in a world that hates children. We live in a world where the bald eagle has more protection than the unborn child. Why? Because the child is made in the image of God. Fifty-five million unborn children are crying out today. Because we as Americans think it's alright to murder our most innocent. And then we wonder why there's so many school shootings and other acts of violence in this world. It's because we have no moral compass. But even in the midst of all this, we have the grace of God to help us to live the way He wants us to. To reflect a little bit more, on this grace, I wonder if we might look at Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. If somebody gets it, they can just go ahead and read it. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. You know, sadly, I find myself kind of doing the opposite. Only wanting to talk to God when things are going well. But God makes the promise that if we are His, we can enter boldly to find grace in time of need. He knows there will be times of need. And He wants us to cry out to Him. I don't think we as Americans have come to the place where we are truly crying out to God.
You know, I know the world is waxing worse and worse. I believe it. The Bible says it and it's happening. But I implore you, brothers and sisters, do not become part of the problem. Do not accelerate the waxing worse and worse. Stand up for the things that matter. Stand up for the truth of God's Word. Make it permeate every part of your life. So that when people look at you and they see that you're living a different life, they can say, what's different? And you can say, Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Don't seek to blend. Seek to stand apart. I saw this story and I'd like to share it. I thought it was very applicable. Because sometimes we can come across to unbelievers as these Christians who have all these rules that we have to obey. And sometimes even as Christians we can say, well God, I wish you wouldn't make me do that. But if we realized what God had given to us, if we really took the time to sit at the feet of the cross and realize what Jesus went through for us, and there are things that we won't even know about what Jesus went through because we focus mainly on the physical because that's what we can understand but you know he took every sin of the entire world past, present and future upon his shoulders and he was so ugly father had to turn away can you imagine can you imagine that he was so ugly to God that his father had to turn away And why? So that we could be told these great words. I will never leave you. Nor forsake you. Do you have that kind of relationship with God? I hope you do. Because He wants you to have it. And that's how much He cared. That He was willing to separate Himself from His Son that His Son could bring us to Him for all eternity. This story kind of reflects the difference or I should say the balance between law and liberty. A husband and wife who didn't didn't really love each other. The man was very demanding so much so that he prepared a list of rules and regulations for the wife to follow. He insisted that she read them over every day and obey them to the letter. Among other things, his do's and don'ts indicated such details as what time she had to get up in the morning, when his breakfast should be served, and how the housework should be done. After several long years, the husband died. As time passed, the woman fell in love with another man, one who dearly loved her. Soon they were married. The husband did everything he could to make his new wife happy, continually showering her with tokens of his appreciation. One day, as she was cleaning the house, she found tucked away in a drawer the list of commands her first husband had drawn up for her, and she looked it over. 
it dawned on her that even though her present husband hadn't given her any kind of list, she was doing everything her first husband's list required anyway. She realized she was so devoted to the man that her deepest desire was to please him out of love and not obligation. God does have high standards. He does require me to do things, but the reason I do them is because 2,000 years ago, He took my sin upon His shoulders and He rose victorious over it three days later. That's why I do what I do. That's why I preach the Gospel. Because it's the greatest news ever to mankind. There's nothing that even comes close. You can't say this is number two. Because the gospel is so all-encompassing, there is no number two. Do you have that kind of relationship with God? Are you doing things for Him because you think that He has a divine checklist in the sky that He's checking off continually? Or are you doing things for Him? Because when you look at Him, you see the only way that you could have salvation. And you're devoted to Him. And you love Him. And you want to be with Him. And you want to be in His service. It's a question we all need to ask. Because I think there are times when we all slip to the legalistic side. I'm not saying we're all going to hit the target 100% of the time. But you know what? If you don't aim at anything, you'll hit it every time. We need to be growing. We need to be striving. We need to be more holy today than we were the day before. We need to be mindful that Jesus is coming soon. And even if He doesn't come in our lifetimes, He could still come to take you home to be with Him. And what do you want to be found doing when He does? I would quickly add this caveat that service for God does not equate to knowing God. Sometimes we can get so caught up in saying, look at the service I'm doing for God, but we don't spend time in His presence. He's not going to care how much service you did for Him when you get to heaven. Yes, He wants to reward you for it. What He's going to care about is what you did with His Son. He wants to know you. He wants to be able to say, well done my good and faithful servant. And if you have a best friend on this earth, you know that you didn't build your friendship by never seeing each other. I've joked with Ben that the last few times I've tried to get a hold of him, I haven't been able to. And I, I know there's extenuating circumstances. But the fact of the matter is, if we're not getting a hold of each other, we're not communicating. 
But guess what? God doesn't have voicemail. He doesn't have call waiting. He doesn't have operators in the sky. He allows us into His throne room to enter boldly to find grace in time of need. And sometimes He just wants us to thank Him for who He is. Because that's another tendency of Christians, isn't it? We're going along. Everything's fine. We're not really spending a lot of time in prayer or in the Bible. And then all of a sudden we face it, we're faced with a crisis. And it's like, oh God, deliver me out of this crisis. But God wants us to be just as urgent and fervent in prayer when we're in rejoicing as when we're in crisis. So my prayer for you is that your devotion to God would drive what you do. And that it wouldn't be about rules and checklists and regulations. The third and final point is God instructs. Noah obeys. God is very specific about how He wants the ark built. Listen to this. Beginning in verse 14 of Genesis chapter 6. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be a 100 cubits, the breadth of it 50 and the height of it thirty cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. With the lower, the second, and third story shalt thou make. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every short sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. Of the fowls after their kind and of the cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep to keep them alive. And, and, and take thou unto thee of all the food, of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it unto thee, and it shall be food for thee and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So did he. <clears throat> You'll notice in these passages, he says, make an ark of gopher wood. And uh, I don't know if he ever wrote this down for Noah anywhere, but Noah is proof positive that men can shatter the stereotype and be men who actually do read the instructions. 
Because if Noah doesn't follow these instructions the way God wants them wants him to, guess what? I don't think the ark is floating. And I don't think we're reading the story that we have today. God was very specific. He talks about the window. He talks about how big the window needs to be. Where it needs to be. He talks about the height and all the dimensions of the ark. He talks about all that stuff. And he tells Noah what to bring on the ark. Two of every kind. Seven of some because they will be sacrifices. But it's all down to the minutest detail. Because our God is a God of order and not of confusion. And I want you to especially see this last phrase in Genesis chapter 6. Thus did Noah according to all that God had commanded him. So did he. Do you know how many times Saul, King Saul, said, I've obeyed your commands, God. Or I was going to obey God, but you took too long. And what happened to Saul? The kingdom was ripped from him and given to another. And what did God say about Saul's successor? He said, I have found a man after my own heart who will do all my will. When God looks into Grace and Truth Christian Fellowship today, does He find men who say, I was going to wait, God. I was going to do your will, God. Or does he find those who say, I want to be a man after your own heart, God. And I will do all your will. Now, of course, none of us is perfect. I'm not sitting up here saying that I'm perfect. Anyone who lives with me will be glad to regale you with stories during the potluck about how unperfect (laughs) I am. But, guess what? I am redeemed. I am bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. And He's working on me. And He's making me more and more like His dear Son. I just want to finish with this poem by Richard Baxter. I'm not real familiar with Richard Baxter, but this is what he says. Lord, it belongs not to my care whether I live, whether I die or live. To love and serve Thee is my share, and this Thy grace must give. If life be long, I will be glad that I may long obey. If short, yet why should I be sad? To soar to endless day. Christ leads me through no darker rooms than he went through before. He to God's kingdom, he that to God's kingdom comes, must enter by this door. There's only one way 
to come to Christ. I just want to read very quickly these two verses from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3.20, followed immediately by 2 Peter 2.5, about Noah, giving a little bit more insight into what was going on at the time that he was building the ark. Which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, well, the ark was a preparing. Within few, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was preaching righteousness. I have no doubt whatsoever, or no problem whatsoever, believing that Noah was inviting people that he was around to come into the ark. But when it was time to come into the ark, it was just Noah and his family. And then, as if Noah might delay to close the door, because he might want to let at least one person get in, God made the decision to close the door. And that was the end of the opportunity. My prayer is that if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you would do so today. Because the door is still open. But the day is coming when the door will be closed. When the end of all time will be upon us. When the earth that we now know will melt with fervent heat. And God will build a new heaven and a new earth. I'm looking forward to that time. And I want to see you all there. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this man Noah. We thank You that he found grace in Your eyes. We thank You that even though he was imperfect, You loved him and You preserved him. And You allowed him to help start the world over again. And then You promised him that you would never again flood the whole earth. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, even today though, we see the devastation that can happen by flood water. We pray for those in the Philippines who are going through the aftermath of this typhoon. We pray that you would bring many to yourself. And Lord, we pray that we would continue to be faithful that you would find in this assembly men and women who are seeking to do all of your will. In Jesus' name, and for his praise, the risen Lord. Amen.